we will go ahead and get started. Oh, thank you, Tina, for the comment. I appreciate it. Um, and hopefully some of y'all um, were able to join for the conversation on access yesterday. Um, I hope y'all enjoyed it. Um, and I was able to offer a new perspective or maybe a different perspective on access, um, which we'll be getting into today. Um, and definitely want this space to be, let's go back for a second, um, an interactive space um, for all of us. Um, so I'm gonna kind of set some um, guidelines for the space today, um, and then we will get started. Um, so just to jump back for a minute, again, my name is Stephanie. Um, I use they and she pronouns. Um, I am a white um, non-binary person. I am wearing a black and tan dress. I have some dangly black earrings on, um, and I am sitting in my living room um, speaking to y'all from Narragansett and Wampanoag land. Um, in unceded Providence, Rhode Island. I'm very excited to be here with y'all to um, continue or start, if you're just joining us, the conversation on what it means to be access-centered, um, particularly in the context of um, thinking about communications work, um, the story that we're telling about disability, um, thinking about how we're going to build our skills um, to truly center um, our community members. And on the screen is a graphic, an image from uh, Jennifer White Johnson, who is a disabled and neurodivergent um, educator and artist. Um, she frequently um, has artwork about her autistic son um, who's on the screen, um, and he's wearing a bag that says Mama Raised a Revolution. Um, so really excited to have y'all here. Please feel free to uh, introduce yourselves in the chat. Um, let us know who you are and where you're coming from. Um, and we will try to build in a good amount of time um, for discussion here today. Um, the artist social handle. Yes, I will grab it for y'all before we head out um, of here today. Um, Awesome. So this slide, uh, it's an image of um, Talila Lewis looking at some artwork uh, by Titus Kafar. Um, and we have the word access centered underlined um, saying it is greater than um, accessibility, greater than universal access. We have those words crossed out. Um, and that, and if y'all were part of um, the keynote session yesterday, I talked a bit about this, that um, the best that we can really do is center access. Um, it is very, very difficult, if not impossible, um, to meet everybody's access needs in a space. We all have, disabled or not, we all have um, unique body minds. Um, for example, I have done a lot of work to slow my speech down. Um, I tend to speak very, very quickly. Um, a combination of being Puerto Rican and being autistic, and I can't do much about it. Um, but for some people, um, 
that is just, it doesn't work for their access needs. They need me to speak slower. Um, so we might come to a place where we are conflicting, um, where universal access might um, not be possible or ever be possible. So maybe the goal is centering access and being willing to adjust and flow um, when we come into conflict with each other's access needs. Um, so with that, um, I welcome you all to use the space that you're in as you need or prefer. You can have your cameras on or off. Um, I value all forms of communication equally, so you can uh, share in the chat. I will try to read out comments um, and reflections that are in response to a question being asked or part of an ongoing discussion. Um, and very much welcome y'all um, to be on your beds, on your floors, dancing, stimming. Um, all things are welcome in this space. Um, and if you need to step in or out, I know this session is being recorded. Um, so hopefully y'all can have access to that as a resource um, if needed. All right. Um, a little bit about me for, for folks who, um, who are joining. Um, I'm the director of Project Let's and we are a national grassroots organization led by and for disabled, neurodivergent, mad and mentally ill folks. Um, we, the majority of us are multiply marginalized um, psychiatric survivors so um, and medical abuse survivors. So folks who have um, attempted to navigate um, healing or find treatment and support um, in systems that claim to do that um, and in turn only harmed us further. Um, so a lot of our work is centered on building non-carceral responses, um, community-based responses to psychiatric crises, to emotional crises. Um, we do a lot of political education and peer support work. Um, we have chapters in high schools and colleges um, doing a lot of this education um, work and um, very excited to be uh, kind of meeting, uh, filling an intersection and a real gap that has um, existed for a long time between um, mental health work and disability work. Many people don't, um, you know, even right now consider or include um, mental illness or madness or neurodivergence as a disability. Um, so there is a lot of work to be done there. And um, when we're thinking about access, um, we're not just talking about um, you know, mobility devices and physical accessibility access is so much more than that. Um, and really excited to have space to tease that out with y'all. Um, I have a little bit of my lived experience on the screen here. Um, and I talked a little bit about some of this yesterday, um, having that intersection of physical disability and psychiatric disability. Um, and again, a lot of lived experience um, navigating many systems. Um, I will also say in the context of our session today, um, I currently lead and manage um, an entirely disabled and neurodivergent team, um, which is amazing and very, very difficult um, under the constraints of, you know, the systems that we have in place. Um, so I, you know, I don't offer any of this as this is easy. Um, this is a magic bullet solution. This is um, a commitment that we make, an ongoing one. Um, and there, there is no roadmap for what we're trying to do. Um, so being in spaces like this where we can learn and share 
um, and hear from each other, I think is um, is one of the most important things that, that we can have. Um, awesome. I want to just really quickly move through um, some of my baseline values before we got into our first discussion question for the day. Um, thinking for, for me, disability is an identity. Um, it's something that when I'm talking about disability, I'm not talking about something um, that I am trying to eradicate or cure. We are thinking about accommodation. We are thinking about how um, traditionally our environments and our society um, have created um, patterns and behaviors and policies and cultures that are very inaccessible. Um, that is what um, I choose to put my focus on um, rather than saying that disability is the problem. Um, you will hear me leading with identity first language. Um, for example, disabled person, autistic person, we'll get into a little bit of that. Um, and lastly, we all perpetuate ableism, even myself. Disability is a very, very wide and vast community. Um, and we are all swimming in the water of a very, very ableist society. Um, I am by no means an expert. Um, and again, I welcome y'all to share and give your input um, on where you're at in this conversation. Awesome. So I am going to get us into breakout rooms for about... Um, what's the time? We'll be in breakout rooms for about six or seven minutes, um, thinking about how do you know what you know about disability? Who taught it to you? And one step further, this is not on the screen, but I'll throw it in the chat. Um, where are you at in your workplace, in your um, organization around disability? Are you talking about it? Um, what are you not doing about it? Um, and we'll give y'all about six to eight minutes for that. Um, and when we come back, hopefully some of y'all will want to share with the group. Um, so let me get this in the chat for folks. And get us into groups. All right, y'all. I am sending y'all, we'll see you back in about seven minutes. Feel free to jump back if you're having any issues in your room.
Hey, Taylor, are you just joining us? Yes, I am. Sorry. No, you are totally fine. We are in a breakout room right now. Would you like to hang out in the main room until um, folks come back? Yes, if that's okay with you. Absolutely, no problem. Thank you. Hey, Carmen, we're in a breakout room right now. I can either send you to one or you're welcome to hang out here until the group gets back. Okay, I'll wait here. Thank you. Awesome. Hey, Daria and Titania, we will be um, getting returning from a breakout room in about two minutes. So just sit tight.
Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everyone. We will have everyone back in a minute. All right, welcome back, folks. I'm putting in the chat that the artist for the original, the graphic on the first slide, Jennifer White Johnson, that is her Instagram handle. And I would love to hear from folks, for new folks who are joining us, the question in the chat, um, the question that folks just spent about seven minutes in a breakout room with was, how do you know what you know about disability? Who taught it to you? And how is disability addressed or not addressed in your current work? So I wanna open this up for discussion from y'all. We have 61 of y'all. So the easiest way to do this will be for you to raise your hand using the reactions button emoji at the bottom of your screen if you would like to share verbally if you'd like to put something in the chat i will read it out and yeah is there anyone who would like to get us started and i will ask when you share to give us your name um, if you want to give us an image description as i did um, of who you are and your environment um, and where you're joining us from. Um, and I'll put that in the chat as well. All right, who is the brave soul to get us going here? 
we have a brave soul, Gail. It is great to see you. Great to see you, Stephanie. Um, so I'm Gail Fuller, and I am a Black woman with a non-apparent disability. Uh, my hair is in a bob with bangs, and I'm wearing a sleeveless uh, pink t-shirt, t-shirt blouse. <laughs> Don't even know what I have on. And then behind me is a wall with a picture of four black women with their backs to me, dressed in gold dresses. Um, and I, I, I love the the question that you asked about, like, you know, like how did you know, or how did you know what you know about disability? Um, and mine actually came through my work in the last two years. Um, I was a person who knew they had a disability, but honestly was afraid to acknowledge that uh, in, in the workplace. And so um, Stephanie, as you know, I've like been on this journey, you know, about what it means to be a black woman with a non-apparent disability. And people hear me say this all the time. I use non-apparent because as a black woman, I don't want to be invisible, but I respect people who want to describe their disabilities as someone with an invisible uh, disability. And I don't remember what else you said. So that's it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Gail. Um, yeah. And I want to make a quick note. The way that Gail just modeled um, telling us um, the terminology and the language that she uses to define her experience while also holding space, right, for other people to use other terms. Um, that was perfect. That's how we can be engaging with that in a way that um, you know, is not, um, doesn't lead to conflict. There's reasons why we all use different um, language. Um, so yes, thank you for that, Gail. Um, I really appreciate um, your contribution. And I'm going to call on Allison, who had her hand up. Hi. Um, thanks. So we didn't get, um, my name is Allison Gross. I'm a middle-aged white woman with short gray hair. I've got um, silver headphones on and I'm wearing a blue sweater, a light blue sweater, a multicolored silk scarf and a black t-shirt. And behind me is a um, Zoom background from the company that I work, the organization that I work for, which is called NORC, N-O-R-C. And the lettering is white and the main background is gray. Um, and I'm she, her. Uh, so what I wanted to just bring up is that, and I didn't get to talk about this with my partner, Katie, but it's about the workplace because where I work uh, right now, we are about a year ago, a group came together. We do uh, social science research and a lot of our, uh, the majority of our work comes from federal contracts and so we have to follow the 508 compliance rules. <clears throat> and about a year ago, a group of folks got together to form a, a working group to see how we could become, I'm using the language we use at work right now, but I'm learning so much already. Um, and it, it started out, uh, I think it's a 508 compliance working group, and now it's called a, an accessibility working group, uh, people from all over the organization. And 
the the focus was really on uh, visual like visual accessibility. I think through 508 compliance. Uh, this year, we've started working on our a redo of our entire website, and we hired a consultant from a organization called PAC. Uh, his name is Sina. I can't remember his last name because I just always use his first name, and he has pushed our comms team even further and gotten us to think so much more about accessibility or access in different ways. So we've started um, using real-time uh, subtitles and, and cap captioning and captioning in our videos because we have been doing a lot of those in remote work. But I guess what I wanted to say is, so we're it's like, oh, we're feeling so good about ourselves. And in, oh, I don't know, the last 24 hours since I heard your uh, keynote speech, Stephanie, and now here, I'm like, oh my gosh, so much more to do. Wow. <laughs> and so I guess I wanted to say, even when you, I think we're doing a lot, and maybe for some people we are compared to where we were, there's still so much more to learn and my mind is kind of being blown and my brain being open. So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that, Allison. I think, yeah, it's just, it's really important to acknowledge that like perspective, right? And we can, you know, take the time to acknowledge um, and celebrate the ways that we are making progress, that we are learning while also not just, you know, and that's why the terminology is so important, right? Because compliance literally means how do we do the legal minimum to comply with the law and not get in, you know, in legal trouble, right? Um, and that framework um, will dictate how you navigate um, all those conversations, how you view that, um, how you view anything relating to disability and access, right? Um, and for me, I think I'm in that place all the time, right, of being like, wow, we've made really important strides here and being like very angry about things. And I feel that way when um, if there are other disabled folks in the room, you might understand around like the ADA, right? Everyone always wants to like celebrate the ADA. We just had like this big anniversary. Um, and yes, like it like disability rights did a lot of important things. The ADA is important. Um, it, it was critical, but it, it did not do all of it. There are so many places still, um, that can just say, oh, this is a historical building. We don't have to add an elevator, right? Even legally, the loopholes are huge outside of just the law. There's so, so much else. Um, I was just talking to someone the other day who does work with deaf folks and, literally just a month ago, had a conversation with a houseless deaf person who had no idea um, what COVID was or that a pandemic was happening. Like that's where we're at. Um, and like, we all need to like hold both, right? We've made great progress in certain ways. Also, we continue every day to leave many, many, many people behind in the dust. Um, and it's our, you know, job to kind of balance, um, not falling into the guilt hole and the, the shame hole, right? Guilt, um, guilt doesn't move us forward. Shame can be a useful tool. Brene Brown, I won't say anything on this because Brene Brown just owns this whole thing. So I don't, I don't need to say words on that. Um, look at Brene Brown for that. Um, but really balancing, right? Like let's, 
we can't just be, everything is like so negative all the time because we deserve, um, you know, to celebrate progress um, while also, you know, acknowledging what real progress looks like, progress for who, let's be very specific um, about exactly who is gaining what when we claim um, to be making progress. Um, so yeah, everything I think is about that context. So I'm really glad um, you brought that up, Allison. Um, and I'd love to see if any other folks have reflections on um, what they've learned about disability, how it's coming up for you in the workplace. Woodson, take it away. Thank you. It's great to be here. And thank you for your, for your keynote as well. Um, my name is Woodson Carpenter. Uh, pronouns are he, him, um, young black man, um, round gold glasses, um, what I think is a beautiful Afro. Um, you know, not a, not the biggest Afro, but it, you know, it's pretty it's pretty nice. Um, I'm wearing a, a green and blue plaid shirt, um, and I'm, I'm joining from Chattanooga, Tennessee. I, I work for the Community Foundation of, of Greater Chattanooga. Thank you for the Afro love. I appreciate it. Um, you know, I was saying in the in the background, I reflect kind of Stephanie and Allison what what both of you were saying, both um, in the broader experience and both in the the, the work context. Um, uh, I was saying in the break, the breakout group that that uh, my sister is a, a type has a type one diabetes um, and she was diagnosed uh, when she was four. Um, so from from the personal, um, it has been um, you know powerful to watch our journey thus far. Um, and I'm just thinking about you know always seeking for uh, better, but also celebrating every victory at the same time. So just even, you know, on a very individual level, every new piece of technology that allows her um, to more easily navigate um, the world, um, watching her growth and navigation as a, as a young person and now an adult um, in, in academic settings and then in professional settings and seeing just how um, unprepared um, really in that direction the world is, is for her um, and, and um, uh, so, uh, you know, it, it's been interesting to watch her and learning a lot of lessons from her and learning, um, I think, lessons that are kind of similar to what we were taking in, into account at the organization as well, which is, you know, at a, at a very high level, always being willing um, and creating space uh, for folks to be um, their whole selves, um, to, to feel free and to be able to communicate. Um, to always be asking the question of what are we not doing yet? Um, what can we do better? Um, and I think framing it um, not only in the recognition of, you know, there are real challenges and there are real problems at the individual, at the institutional and at the systemic, um, but also seeing this is a great opportunity. And I think for us as, an, as a foundation, this is a great opportunity, um, this space in particular, to be better neighbors, um, to, to actually be community um, and to in every way, I think, kind of um, move out of the way and to create space. Um, I said this in another session as well. Um, we're not experts on everything. Um, and I think for us, really, it's really been as we seek equity, um, as we seek, um, you know, being centered, um, to, to use your language, um, say access centered, um, understanding that as a requiring a learning posture. Um, so for us, that looks like right now um, we have a consultant that's pretty much looking at all of our HR processes um, and, and just scouring them on all on all of those items, right? Where we're talking about um, 
access, whether we're talking about uh, racial equity, whatever it is, um, to really take that posture of learning um, and to be willing to accept whatever criticism might come from that, um, whatever, whatever challenges for change might come from that with the understanding um, that, that our goal is to, to produce um, and to facilitate a community um, that, that, that works for everyone, where everyone can thrive. Um, um, you know, understanding the power of who they are um, and, and what's beautiful about all of our um, uh, differences and in, in identities and in, in individual characteristics, but also making sure that everything is, is um, open for, for everyone as well. Everybody can, can, can thrive um, in our local community. And I think that's something to take out, you know, beyond that as well. Um, so with that, I'll, I'll give the mic back. Thank you so much for all of that, Woodson. You said so many really important things. I want <coughs> to, excuse me, all. Um, I want to build on. First of all, um, your image description, right? Like, this is what I'm talking about. Access can be fun. We can say, like, yes, my hair looks beautiful today. Like, that is what we want to kind of move towards, right? A joyful experience. We know, you know, I, I had a, um, um, a conversation with with someone we were talking about um, land acknowledge, acknowledgements and how much time you know should we spend on them and my response was if if the land acknowledgement is not coming from a genuine place of really wanting to honor the indigenous peoples of this land then don't do it. Don't just do it, right? Because it looks good if we're just going to say, okay, let me just name drop this thing, right? Um, so yeah, I just want to highlight that, that um, have fun with it. That's what we are doing here. Um, I also think you brought up a really important distinction when you're talking about, you know, your sister and what she perceives to be as progress, right? And what are the wins for her? And I think it's very important to have disabled people be able to name our own wins, right? And say what progress means for us, um, as opposed to having other people always dictating that, right? And I'm not saying that, you know, if an organization makes a gain internally, yeah, celebrate that. But externally, maybe we don't need to let the world know that we just, you know, did this one thing, right? Maybe let's really do the work internally before we externally, you know, show everyone that we've done it, right? Because then that just becomes more of a performance, right? Um, and I think, you know, I worked with a lot of uh, organizations where every time something's happening, like in the social world, like organizations want to like have an event about it. They want to put on a webinar about it as the first thing, right? To like show like we care, we have a response, we're doing something. Um, and I'm often like, it's actually much more meaningful to take the time and look internally at the power dynamics of what's happening in the organization, um, right? Or in conjunction with doing things externally, right? It's not always black and white. Um, but wanting to name that as well. Um, and yeah, I think you also mentioned just like asking the hard questions, sitting with discomfort of not knowing. Um, I think a lot of people, myself included, have made major mistakes in the past because I'm, I was scared of asking questions or didn't know who to ask. Um, and I know for myself that I don't believe that that's an excuse anymore, that we all have access, um, that if we don't know where to find something that we can either find someone, we can pay someone to tell us where to find it. We have many, many tools at our disposal at this moment. Um, and I think that 
you know, disability and access particularly. Um, it's interesting because um, when I work with smaller organizations who have like no budget, they are nine out of 10 times almost always more willing and able to get a budget together to pay for access than massive companies and massive organizations who have huge budgets who consistently will say, oh, like we didn't have a budget for access or accessibility. Um, you know, when small organizations are like, um, you know, doing the work to raise the money or building relationships with interpreters who may, you know, reduce their rates and partner with you because, you know, they believe in the work you're doing. Um, so definitely um, it, it becomes a matter of prioritization, right? Everything manages to get in the budget line somehow that needs to, when it needs to, when people decide that it needs to be there. Um, so that is um, another thing that we can push on when we're um, talking about access, when we're thinking about, is it a priority or not um, in the spaces that we're in? Um, so thank you for that, Woodson. Thank you all. Um, I want to run through a couple of slides with y'all um, before we end our time today. And I will, I don't know how y'all are going to get these slides, but I believe you'll have access to them probably in the, in the portal um, today, um, in the conference portal. Um, so I want to share a couple of thoughts and notes. Let me go back, yes, for a second. Um, particularly for, you know, folks who are in, you know, y'all are in communications work. Um, when we're writing about disability, um, I am assuming that if you don't already have kind of like a style guide or a guide around um, language about disability, um, that, you know, it, you might or your organization might default to using person first language. Um, I would tell you that that, um, that would be a mistake to do that. Um, the majority of the disabled community um, has a preference for identity first language. Um, again, as Gail mentioned and beautifully modeled for us, different people have different preferences. If an autistic person says to you, you know, hi, my name is Sarah and I identify as a person with autism, don't be like, oh, no, no, no. I learned that you should call yourself an autistic person. Like, no, that is not what I'm saying. Everyone has the right to identify the way they want. However, um, there is um, overwhelmingly um, a desire to never, ever say the word disability, to couch it in as many different ways as we can. Um, we have handy, capable, differently abled, specially abled, special needs. I could go on and on. Um, and all of those things, we're talking about disability, but we don't want to say it. And when we do that, when we make up all these euphemisms, what we're really saying is that disability is bad. You don't want to be disabled. You don't even want to say the word disabled. Um, and I'll never forget when, when I had, um, when I was first becoming physically disabled and losing the ability to walk and um, getting my first walker. And I, you know, for the first time in front of my family had said something about being disabled. And my mother just looked at me like horrified and was like, oh my God, Stephanie, like, don't call yourself that. Like, like, what are you saying? You don't think you're ever going to get better? Like that is that connotation that if you kind of claim that you've like given up, right? A lot of bad and negative things and, and disabled people are trying to reclaim that and say, no, this is an identity. Um, we don't say person with tallness 
person with queerness, person with blackness, person with womanness, right? Because we can understand that those are descriptors of an identity and not inherently bad. Um, so, you know, there is often this need to humanize disabled people by putting person with first. Um, and so that, you know, that is where, um, you know, a lot of that tension lies. Um, the majority of people are taught that it's rude to say disabled person. You have to say person with a disability. Um, but I free you from that burden. Um, I will be the token disabled person to give you permission to say disabled. You can say disability. Um, you can say all of it. And again, if someone says, no, I don't use that language, it's not a point to be like, oh, well, one disabled person told me that it was okay everyone is different, right? This is just the preference. This is where to lead with um, and to always be able to ask, hey, maybe this is what I've been taught. What language do you use to describe your experience? And particularly, there's a lot of special needs language and frameworks that come up. Um, I love this quote from actress Katarina Sporson um, about her daughter Pippa, who has Down syndrome. Um, and she says, Pippa has needs that are specific to the way her body um, was made. I have needs that are specific to the way my body was made. We all do. Um, okay, I'm seeing a comment from Jamila that says, I'm curious, uh, curious about how this works in different language communities. For example, in French, I've heard person in a situation of handicap versus a handicapped person. Um, Jamila, this is a very, very good question. And um, to be clear, I am very particularly talking about disability in an English um, US context right now. Um, I would love to have time to go into a global analysis of disability, which is definitely my favorite thing to do. Um, yes, language is definitely funky. Um, and, and, and Spanish has like a, a, a similar thing where um, most folks are, are just using like the equivalent of handicaps still. Um, and that, yeah, I, I'm not going to comment on the, the particularities of like French language or grammar, um, knowing that, yes, there are many, many little nuances um, and differences across languages and cultures um, in the way people identify and the language used for sure. Thank you for um, bringing that lens in. Okay, y'all, I'm going to skip through. Let me, let me stop my screen for a couple of minutes because we've got, if I'm correct, We've got about 10 minutes left, if I'm correct. And I wanna give y'all some tangible tools before you go. Okay. All right, y'all. So this list, okay, yes, this is what I wanted. Um, in terms of when we're thinking about access, when we're thinking about um, increasing access in general, um, a couple of things to keep in mind. The first being that early planning is so, so important. Um, most of the time, people will entirely plan out something and then be like, oh my God, wait, the access um, and have that be the last thing. Um, and then you reach out to interpreters and expect that they're just free and able to like 
do whatever you need very quickly. Um, that is not fair. Um, access needs to be something that is part of the initial planning phase of anything, of everything. Um, a couple of folks have already mentioned working with consultants. It, like use your, you know, business leadership thinking minds. If this is not something that y'all have the capacity and time to integrate into all your team members, then hire consultants, pay disabled people who can teach, train individual folks who can do the work for you. There are so many disabled people who, who need work, who are extremely underpaid. By the way, it's still very legal to pay disabled people extremely under the minimum wage. That's a whole other conversation. Um, so yes, at any opportunity that you can use in your organizations and positions of power to bring in um, disabled people, multiply marginalized disabled people, to educate, facilitate, consult, do it. Um, access costs money. It is what it is. We exist under capitalism. That does not mean it's the responsibility of your program or service users, <coughs> excuse me all, um, or the people that you're claiming to serve um, to pay for that access. That is something that needs to be built in um, to budgets. There are organizations that offer grants and resources around access. Um, when we are um, integrating, let's say we're having an event um, and we have people who are registering for an event. We wanna make sure that we're asking everyone, do you have any access needs? Um, we also want to be proactively offering things. We don't just want to be waiting for a deaf person to always say, I'm here, right? We want to offer things proactively and we can use our judgment around if something's very public facing, if something's a small group, okay, then we can ask, does anyone need ASL? If not, then we don't need an interpreter, right? Use your judgment. Um, we want to model sharing our access needs, right? Um, we all have them. We all have bodies. We all need to go to the bathroom sometimes. We might need to pick up our kid. Um, we have things we need to do. We need water. We need to take medication. If we can start integrating that um, into the spaces that we're in, um, opening up doors to model that for our team members, for the folks that we are working with, um, that can make a huge difference. Um, we want to have patience and flow. Um, I talked, I named I name dropped crypt time in, in the keynote. I didn't define it. Um, crypt time meaning the very, you know, there's a lot of different interpretations of crypt time. For me, um, you know, the very unique way that uh, disabled people have um, an embodied relationship to time that is not what we know it to be, that is nonlinear. It can slow down, it can accelerate. Um, we Crypt time also has a central belief that things happen at the pace that they need to happen, um, which again, conflicts very much with the pace of get things done, urgency. The only value that you have is how quickly you can produce things and how much you can produce, right? Um, so it's hard to live in that value. But one thing, um, you know, that we can practice for me when I'm in a space with all disabled people and access doesn't work, right? Like the interpreter doesn't show up, the captions won't work. We are all very comfortable to just navigate it, right? We'll just stop the event, right? We'll just pause it. Okay, we're taking a pause. We're going to put, you know, some music on, hang out until we can figure it out. Nobody left behind means that we don't say, crap, we put a lot of money into this. There are a lot of people here. 
the captioner didn't show. All right, we just got to keep going, right? Um, that is what we mean when we say we're living our values. I have seen people stop events, cancel them with 3,000 people in the room because the Spanish interpreter wasn't there. That is practicing access. Um, that is an example of how we practice solidarity. Um, thank you, Amrit. I see you. Um, awesome. I'm going to show y'all a couple of resources because you will have these slides um, and many things are self-explanatory here. So this is a guide for you. Um, this slide, things to consider about access that we might not always consider, right? Um, integrating breaks, like we need breaks. I used to do this too. I used to try and facilitate like a six hour day for people. Like that's not feasible. People's brains just start melting after a while. People need breaks. They cannot just look at screens all day. Um, people cannot engage in like huge chunks of time like that. Um, some people are visual learners. Some people need non-visual options. Are we thinking about that? Um, lots of different things to consider with access. Um, and I will leave that for y'all um, to think through. I have a guide for you all on digital accessibility, what we want to be thinking about on our social media platforms, image descriptions. Let me show y'all what an image description is. This is a picture of me and my daughter. So, um, okay, let me go back. Image description. Image description is what we would put under an image, right? Let's say we're on Instagram, you scroll through, you see this cute, cute picture of me and my daughter. Underneath, you would see this. Stephanie, a white non-binary person, sits in a wheelchair and smiles at her daughter, PJ, a black biracial toddler. PJ is holding the rim of the wheelchair, smiling back with a silly face. They are outside on a sidewalk with bright green grass in the background. Image descriptions have detail. I gave you what's happening. If I am not looking at the picture, right, and I read that, do you get a good idea of what's happening, right? That's an image description. And I wanna be very clear that the terminology I used in terms of describing um, my race and my daughter's race is because I wrote that description. You, if you are looking at this picture, should not use that language, right? Skin tone representation matters but we are not going to assume race unless we know somebody's race, right? Um, we want to make people gender neutral and their age less specific. If we're talking about people who are um, you know, famous or well-known people, right? There's always nuance there. But um, if you were looking at this picture and you were like unsure about, right, about like my daughter's race, like don't just like try to guess and figure it out we would want you to just describe the skin tone um, uh, in, in the image. Um, so this is an example of an image description. Um, yes, yes, you can, if, if y'all don't find these slides somewhere, please just email me. I'm gonna put my email in the chat. I will make sure you have them all. Um, very quickly, so that's an image description. Going back now, alt text. This is what you might have seen in terms of, this is like a separate thing in Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. This is what's in the image, right? If someone's using a screen reader, it's gonna go through the alt text instead of the image. Um, so this is just, what is the image? Just basic. There's gonna be a, um, a limit to how many um, words you can use. So very basically, Stephanie and her daughter are making silly faces at each other and smiling. Boom, done. Um, that is alt text. That's what's going to be coded in, embedded in the image. 
versus again, the image description going to give a lot more context. Um, where are we with time? Okay, I'm gonna probably go over about three to five minutes. So folks are welcome to stay or drop out. And again, you'll have access to my materials. Um, cool, those are two things. Font size, we should always be using at least font size 24. Anything smaller than that is just way too small and nobody can see it. So we don't wanna do that. Um, size 24 is the limit. Um, awesome, yes, as Omri just put in the chat, you can feel free to stay and then head over to games or networking. Um, I will be here for a couple more minutes with y'all. Um, videos, we want to always have captions on videos. And again, this is just one of those things that if you're using like your smart business brain um, on social media, most people don't scroll through Instagram, right? With their um, sound on. So having captions just increases the chance that people will engage as a whole, but are critical for people who, um, you know, cannot hear or who have auditory processing issues. Um, we want captions and we want transcripts. Transcripts are also really, really important when we have videos. Um, even if you have captions, those are serving two different needs. Hashtags, as you can see, we want to capitalize the first letter of each word. If you do not capitalize the first letter of each word, a screen reader cannot differentiate between the words. So it just becomes like one big blob of a mess. Um, we want to, um, and I will even put just in his example, Emily, um, as a learning example in the chat, right? How Emily wrote disability inclusion. If you can see it, we would want, yes, perfect. That's how we would want it to be on social media pages. So a screen reader could identify the words. Thank you so much. Um, yes. And for long URLs, thank you, Amy. Um, we want to give content warnings for things in general that are going to be very triggering. Also flashing lights are a huge trigger for seizures. We wanna be careful about that um, as well. Um, sometimes we use like very decorative fonts that are super difficult to read. Um, and I think in general, we often um, may prioritize the aesthetic over um, you know, accessibility. So being very careful about that. Um, our colors, some, you know, that purple on this, you know, green is not good. You can barely see it. Um, there are websites where you can check for color contrast. Um, and you would want to make sure that you're always like above the the bare minimum of where contrast needs to be. Um, so you can definitely check, um, your color contrast. Um, there are resources that I've linked for y'all to do that. Um, okay. I'm going to show y'all these resources because they're self-explanatory and then we are going to bounce. Um, okay, we've got some resources for, um, all right, for online webinars. Um, this is coming from HERD, which is another amazing disability justice organization um, that is particularly working with um, deaf um, and disabled incarcerated folks. Um, really great um, tools for navigating online spaces. Um, and they have a whole guide, which I link in the resources at the end for y'all to engage with. I also give y'all a sample access statement that you could use. Um, yes, Brooke, yes, we will. I'm gonna get to that in a second. Um, 
The sample access statements here are things that you can use for um, events that you have, letting people know what will take place, um, where the event is, um, like what platform, um, the amount of, you know, if it's sliding scale, how much it will cost. And also if there is no access for an event or if there's some access, but you know, it's not um, accessible for um, wheelchair users, then write that, right? It is far better, at least it lets, sorry y'all, massive truck. Um, at least it lets um, people know if they can or cannot access the space, right? Um, I many times showed up somewhere um, with various mobility devices and then at that time realized I could not get in. Um, so we don't wanna do that to people. We wanna give them information beforehand. Um, and yes, um, the um, definitely in terms of some of the um, videos at um, some of the conference videos, um, absolutely um, may have been challenging for some folks who um, have um, light and um, sensory difficulties with light and sound. Um, I definitely appreciate that comment um, and we'll definitely be bringing it back to um, the access team um, when we do our debriefing. So thank you so much, Brooke, for um, bringing that up. Um, I want to just share quickly some sample statements again that y'all can use in emails with people. I typically ask people before I'm setting any meetings if they have any access needs that they um, you know, have for us to just communicate. Um, I'll also let them know um, that if they have a preference for communicating in one way over another, um, that they can um, let me know that information ahead of time. Um, here are some questions to ask yourselves when you're navigating access, when you're thinking about um, your communications work or work with a client. And I'm not gonna go through these right now. Again, y'all will get access to them. Um, and I will stop us here for the day. Um, a quote from Kaite Davidson that says, no one is actually independent. We are all interdependent. The difference between the needs that many disabled people have and the needs of people um, who are um, not labeled as disabled is that non-disabled people have had their dependencies normalized. So I really wanted to close with that quote for y'all. Um, I leave you with some amazing organizations that um, I work with, Project Let's Works with. Um, you can learn amazing things from each of them. Um, and I recommend y'all reaching out to me if you have further questions. Um, I have some more resources for y'all. Um, and I'm really, really excited um, and grateful that y'all engaged in this session and with this conference. It's been really wonderful getting to share space with you all. Um, and again, we'll put my email in the chat. I would love to continue connecting. Um, so thank you all. I hope you enjoy the rest of V21.